Democrats think Biden is too old to be an effective president, as do Republicans. So I think it's this innate thing where people already are inclined to say, listen, this guy is old and Biden does have a lot of falls. We know that uh, traffic to news sites is way down and traffic to social media sites, short form video sites like TikTok or Instagram Reels is up. And so people are just seeing more and more of these videos. And it's kind of coalescing in this very interesting, it's a, a vacuum is being filled by TikTok videos and genuine voter concerns about Biden's age. That's my colleague, Claire Malone. Claire is a staff writer for The New Yorker, where she reports on the shifting media landscape across the U.S. This past week, Claire wrote about the memification of American politics, in which she suggests that the result of this year's presidential election may very well come down to a few internet memes. So I wanted to ask Claire, are these memes and videos just par for the course in our new political landscape? Or should we be more worried about campaigns waged on TikTok? You're listening to The Political Scene. I'm Tyler Foggett, and I'm a senior editor at The New Yorker. So you begin your piece by zeroing in on one of the biggest criticisms of Joe Biden as he runs for re-election, which is his age. Um, recent polls show a large majority of Americans think he's too old to be effective in a second term. Biden is 81. He's going to be 86 by the end of a second term. So it's an understandable concern. But you also trace a lot of the concern over Biden's age to videos like the Air Force Academy video. When he took a nasty spill on stage, take a look at this video. The president went down after shaking hands just before the three and a half hour long ceremony concluded. Those videos are getting millions of views. And it seems like some of them have been edited to um, have like music in the background that enhances the um, like comic nature of the situation. Curb your, curb your enthusiasm <laughs> music. Exactly. Yeah. Or like the Mario Brothers yeah. theme with like bananas that have been edited in to make Biden, you know, look, make it look like he was tripping on them. What do you think is driving this interest in, in these kinds of videos? I mean, I think it's a couple factors, most of them simple. One of them is most Americans do think he's too old. And that includes Democrats, which I think is really notable. That's consistent in polling. And then the other thing, the other sort of ambient media factor is a lot of people aren't reading the news anymore. So why do you think the falling videos in particular have really taken off? Because I feel like if you're concerned about Biden's age and his ability to serve a second term, the more effective memes would be like the video of him on 60 Minutes where he goes, you know, oh, I'm focused. How would you say your mental focus is? Oh, it's focused. <laughs> I, it's, I think it's I, I haven't. Look, you know, when we are concerned about older people falling, it's not because the fall itself is necessarily the problem. It's that, you know, someone can die if they fall. I do think that the big driving factor in why the falling videos are so popular is almost the the secondhand embarrassment of it, yeah. right? The kind of the cringe factor. There, there actually are a lot of videos of Biden spliced together, fumbling with his words. I should note here, Biden has a lifelong struggle with the stutter. But the falling stuff is, A, the kind of the vi virality of secondhand embarrassment. I mean, we all we all grew up watching America's Funniest Home videos. But then there is the kind of, yes, you know, someone like Ben Shapiro, the conservative radio uh, or podcast personality, can kind of go on there and sort of, you know, there's, a, there's an undercurrent of, I'm concerned, and you should be concerned, too. Joe Biden, uh, that dude's real old. I mean, if Joe Biden were to be reelected, he'd be 86 when he left office, which is you know, four, five, six years beyond American life expectancy. This isn't me just making fun of a guy who fell. This is me saying, whoa, this is a real, 
yikes, uh, could this guy die on the job? Could this guy become really injured? And yes, could someone that we don't, we really don't like, a.k.a. Kamala Harris, uh, go into office. In your research for this piece, did you find any evidence that, you know, these memes of Biden's trips and falls, that there's some basically like the result of like a larger coordinated campaign? It's a couple of things. You know, I talked to an academic who who researches memes, which is a kind of fun area of interest. Yeah. And, and he, he dream job, <laughs> a dream job, truly. Um, he basically said it's both grassroots. Again, going back to the poll numbers, most Americans think he's too old. So Effective memes play on people's actual beliefs. They play on stereotypes. But, you know, the thing about is it are they planted by right-wing activists or people who are connected to campaigns? It's really hard to tell in, you know, TikTok environments. It's undeniable that this is a grassroots sentiment, but it, perhaps it is amplified by some professional campaign operatives, but it is certainly amplified by right-wing conservative media influencers. So Steven Crowder, who's a popular host, Ben Shapiro. If you get some of these memes or topics under discussion on these shows, it really goes out into the bloodstream of a certain type of voter. And I think more broadly, the American audience or or, or Democratic voters, we're all on the same internet. TikTok is um, sort of cosmically random. I mean, it's not. It has an <laughs> algorithm, but it allows things to go viral in a different way. So I think it's just being seeded all over, while also being amplified by a very organized conservative uh, media ecosystem. So what are Donald Trump memes like? Because it seems like he's only four years younger than Biden, and yet he is spared a lot of the criticism about his his age. Yeah. I mean, one thing I talk about in the piece is how Biden and Trump are actually both <laughs> very memed individuals in American life. Biden was originally memed in very positive ways during um, his time as vice president, there was kind of like Uncle Joe, the cool grandpa with the aviators, Obama's best friend. Trump has also always been memed because, you know, he's a caricature of a kind of nouveau riche dude in American life. You know, he's the guy who had a cameo in Home Alone 2. Down the hall and to the left. Thanks. So even before there were internet memes, Donald Trump was kind of a meme. One thing that I talk about in the piece, which, you know, it's one of the, I think, the funniest things that happened during Trump's time in the White House is, you know, there was a lot of talk about how overweight Trump was, how unhealthy his diet was during the campaign. He had this, like, ridiculous McDonald's order of two Big Macs, two fillets of fish, you know, a chocolate malted. And then... The Clemson championship team, the national championship team will be coming tonight. It'll be exciting. Clemson came to the White House after winning the national championship. Tonight, and I think we're going to serve McDonald's, Wendy's, and Burger King's with some pizza. I really mean it. It was during a government shutdown. And so instead of providing sort of, you know, the wonderful White House food that you would have, he presented on, you know, silver platters and in the, in the splendor of the White House, fast food. So like McDonald's and Domino's. And it was memed all over. And it was genuinely funny because it was kind of, he was leaning into his image. And I think there's also this idea that the conservative media ecosystem then picks up in that and likes to spread the Donald Trump memes, right? They're not fighting it. Everyone knows that Donald Trump is a bit of a caricature, including Donald Trump. And so he leans into it more and sort of asserts more identity over his meme ability than I think Biden does. It's really funny that you mentioned the Trump burgers meme because I 
I am also responsible for spreading that, like in my own like kind of family group chat. My um my younger sister, she recently had a birthday, and basically parents can go into like the school classroom and like bring a, a snack. And she asked my stepmom to get a happy meal for every kid in the class. And so we got these photos of just like all these kids with happy meals. And then I sent the Donald Trump burger meme. Um <laughs> so good. Which had been on my feed like a day before. Um, And so that that brings me to the next question, which is, does it say anything about me that I get a bunch of like Donald Trump memes, like of Trump looking cool and then memes of Biden like falling? You know, I didn't look into that too much, but I do think we know that the TikTok algorithm just promotes things that people are clicking on and looking at. And, you know, if you're on something like Instagram Reels, it might say Tyler's really into politics. So we're just going to feed her all the politics reels that are going on, many of which are are about Biden falling. Just so, throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's, it is, you know, the, the, your explore page being a window into your deepest, darkest uh, interior life is, I think there's something to it. But like, I think we are all being fed content that maybe Five years ago, we would have said, like, oh, this is a this is a Republican-promoted, you know, anti-Biden campaign because it's making fun of him. But I just think so many Americans are uncomfortable with it that it is kind of—it's become a really mainstream issue, his age, his capabilities. And I think, you know, it's unfair to not mention Trump's age and Trump's capabilities. I mean, you know, I've, I know some people who have seen Trump recently on the stump and say— He's so meandering now. It's very, you know, the, the it feels a little different from the 2016 um, campaign speeches. We are just dealing with two historically old candidates for president, and no one in America is happy with that. So I want to go back to something you said earlier, which is that um, Biden used to be memed in a more positive light. I feel like he's known for sort of like always having been a little gaff prone, but he yeah. used to get a lot of love for that. Like after Obama signed the Affordable Care Act into law, Biden was caught on that hot mic. Joe Biden was fired up all right. <laughs> Pardon me? And then there were all the memes showing how hip Biden was um, with his aviator sunglasses. Even Amy Poehler's character in Parks and Recreation had a huge crush on him. You're going to be coming by, and you must be Leslie Nope. Welcome. Welcome. My name just came out of your mouth. Well, yeah, it did. You know, that was just a few years ago. So, you know, when did this change? And is it really just that he became more visibly old or like what happened? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a couple of things. But I think the big thing is Biden's position changed. Biden was the vice president under Obama. Obama was a relatively popular president and he was very popular with Democrats. And because of that, Joe Biden kind of was grandfathered in with his popularity, <laughs> so to speak. So he was, you know, he he kind of benefited from that sidekick role with Obama. You know, th- they were an odd couple, right? If there were Obama memes, it was like, Obama's really cool. You know, like that was that was the Obama meme. And Joe Biden was looser. Um, obviously, one is an older white guy, one is a younger black man. So there was just sort of these inherent differences and people found it comforting and likable. And then once Obama dropped out of sight and it was just the Joe Biden show, I mean, you know, Joe Biden is a pretty conventional politician. He has been in political office for decades upon decades. You cannot get more entrenched than Joe Biden. We obviously all saw um, the Democratic primary in 2020 where he wasn't necessarily the favorite. He was kind of the okay, this guy has the best chance of beating Donald Trump person. So I think a lot of it has to do with that. And then I think we're just even, you know, even from two or three years ago, we're just in a different era of the Internet. It's more, there's less Twitter. 
there's more TikTok and Instagram. It's just like a more shorthanded, frankly, less in- information-rich uh, environment. So I think it's a couple of factors uh, going into this, the reason why these memes now exist and are, and are at play. It seems like recently the Biden campaign has been trying to respond to um, all of the negative memes, you know, like they were selling these dark Brandon T-shirts and coffee mugs um, as this sort of like soft reactionary response to the right wing. Can you explain the origin of the dark Brandon meme? So dark Brandon responds to a conservative meme that is let's go, Brandon, which is basically a way to say F Joe Biden. And so the kind of, like, left-wing, dirtbag, Twitter internet, whatever, you know, um, Reddit internet created this this meme that was the Dark Brandon meme, which is Joe Biden, a.k.a. Dark Brandon. Every time he got a policy win or something good happened for the, the, the White House, um, they would put out this meme of, like, Biden with lasers shooting out of his eyes or, like, Emperor Palpatine style, like, you know, shooting shooting lightning bolts out of his hands to kind of be like— Biden isn't this goofy grandpa. He's actually like this very, you know, uh, sinister dark lord who's getting stuff done for the left, right? So that was actually an effective meme because I think it came from, again, organically from like this dirtbag leftist Twitter. I'm going to be fine with your jokes, but I'm not sure about dark branding. The Biden campaign, I think, smartly is now selling campaign merch that's playing on that dark Brandon meme, which is a couple years old. More recently, in a more formal way, they're trying to respond to talk about his age with humor. So Biden turned 81 in uh, November and posted on his Instagram feed a a picture um, of him sitting in front of a cake that is just ablaze with candles. I mean, you know, probably not 80 candles, but a lot of candles and the flames are all sort of melting together and he's kind of there. And, and It's like a true fire hazard. A true yeah. fire hazard. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's definitely someone standing candles. to the side with a, you know, uh, some sort of fire hose. And it basically says something like, you know, happy 146th birthday or something like that. So I think they are trying to go with humor to address that. And in, in his remarks, I think he's starting more and more to talk about that. But I'm sure... At some point, maybe during a debate or during a town hall, someone will ask him and he will have to give an answer, a serious answer about his age. And I'm sure the answer will be a deflection to say, well, do you really want Donald Trump? So I'm wondering how, you know, if you're someone who gets your news from TikTok, how does this work when it comes to events that are not recorded? Like, you know, Donald Trump's many trials. You can read a New York Times article explaining, you know, what Trump said during his testimony, but it's not like you can meme that necessarily. I mean, I think Trump has certainly realized the fact that he needs to maybe fill the void where the cameras aren't. We saw him a couple of months ago during his trials in New York giving these, you know, casual press conferences, which are more just him saying, you know, it's a witch hunt, blah, 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 which actually is quite savvy again. If you know all the the press in New York is there and a microphone is there, you're filling the space, you're giving video snippets for favorable media outlets to replay. So I think I think that's happening on the Trump side of things. That's To me, that's sort of an open question. Will misinformation flower because, you know, you can get someone who's who does one of these YouTube or TikTok explain the news things and they say something that's wrong or they, you know, they, they make up something that happened in court. There's a lot more um, ways that misinformation can go viral and f- can frankly fool uh, very 
savvy users of the internet, right? Like you could you you could plausibly fall for something where you're like, wait a second, that's like that sounds right, but is it right? You know, you have to make sure that um, you're you're getting your news from. You can't even say blue check marks anymore on on all the platforms, but from places that are valid. And I think it's a really interesting open question about what um, what that sort of social media news will look like over the next year. Absolutely. So I want to ask you more about misinformation and about the political impact of these memes. But first, we're going to take a quick break. You'll hear more of the political scene from The New Yorker in just a moment. If you've been enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform of your choice. And while you're there, don't forget to hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. Thanks so much for listening. Claire, I want to expand on this point that we discussed earlier, um, which is that Americans are largely tuning out the news and getting their news from, you know, sites like TikTok. In your piece, you cited a Pew Research Center study that showed that one third of adults under 30 regularly get their news from TikTok, which is kind of a crazy number. Um, Why TikTok? (laughs) (laughs) We should preface this by saying... Um, New Yorker listeners who are parents, buy your children New Yorker (laughs) subscriptions. Um, I mean, TikTok is just the fastest growing app. It is built for virality. That is its sole purpose. I mean, it's addictive. I think all of us have been in the situation nowadays where you like – you sit down on the couch after a long day and all of a sudden it's 45 minutes later and you're just – you're scrolling videos. Like it is a um, (laughs) scientifically, algorithmically – built to addict you kind of app. Um, And frankly, it has the kind of content that people want nowadays, right? People after the 2020 election were super burned out on American news, right? One One of Joe Biden's electoral propositions was, I will be so boring that you won't have to watch the news and care about what's happening in D.C. So that was a thing. Then we've had a lot of, you know, frankly, really awful, depressing world events, the war in Ukraine, the war in Gaza. And whether we like it or not, it is human nature for people after a while to tune out of that, right? And so uh, apps like TikTok are filled with fun. They're filled with funny things. I mean, they're also filled with, with misinformation, right? But they're filled with things that people actually look forward to watching. I mean, I'm, I'm writing something now and I'm really interested in the way Americans are sort of thinking about what do you fill your brain with besides, you know, your work and your school? And Um, less and less it's news and more and more it's, you know, people weighing their news subscriptions against, well, I don't want to cancel Netflix or Hulu or whatever, Peacock. So I'm going to cancel like my Washington Post subscription. So the news, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's a brutal fact, but like it is very true. So the news in general is competing with the fact that people just plain and simple don't want to read the news. And they seek out platforms that are specifically designed to let them kind of veg out for a while. It seems like there's an interesting reframing of old content happening on TikTok. Like the other day, I was really surprised to come across this video of, I think it was during one of um, Trump's debates with Hillary Clinton, actually. It's just awfully good that someone with the temperament of Donald Trump is not in charge of the law in our country. Because you'd be in jail. Secretary Clinton. And I remember... Back when that actually happened, people were horrified by mm-hmm. it. And when I was looking at the comments in this TikTok video, it was everyone basically being like, he, you know, really uh, like, what a burn. Like, I can't wait to vote mm-hmm. for this guy, you know, this election. Like, I didn't wasn't old enough to vote for him last time. And I'm like proud to be able to do it this time. And it's, it's just interesting because it's like such an old clip. And yet yep. 
on TikTok, it has this audience of like seemingly young, excited viewers who think it's just like absolutely epic. And I'm wondering if you think that um, there's something about this generation, like just the way that they respond to certain kinds of humor or comments. Why is it that you take a clip that was all over Twitter in 2016 and you put it on TikTok in 2024 and people suddenly think it's dope? Yeah, it's such an interesting thing. And I will say, I need to spend more time with, like, Gen Z. I'm 37, <laughs> right? So I, now I'm, like, I'm I'm out of touch with the youth. No, but I think that there is an interesting thing that is, um, like, a really popular format on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube is the retelling of history. You know, like, hey, fam, come over here and I'll tell you the story of— and it can be anything from, like, you know, Julia Roberts' love life in the 90s to let me tell you, let me tell you or reframe for you what the 2016 election was really like. And I do think if you look at poll numbers, Trump has support from young people in a way that might surprise some people. He has support from black voters in ways that might surprise some people from Latino voters um, or certain segments of those populations. Like his support isn't as soft among certain groups as you might think. Now, he's still unpopular, obviously. But I do think that people who didn't actually witness the 2016 campaign, you know, with their frontal cortex is fully formed – are kind of maybe more, um, you know, more interested in Trump as this, uh, like, renegade figure. Hillary Clinton is this, you know, hopelessly establishment, whatever, lame figure in some in some people's eyes. Like, that's something that I think I don't, is, is really, really interesting and I don't know enough about. But I do see constantly this sort of, on these social media sites, these, these uh, formats of, let me tell you the history of, and it's obviously a very skewed history in certain ways, but um, people eat that stuff up. People do want to—I mean, people do still want knowledge. It's just like uh, how how firm and correct is the is the framing of it. So I want to talk a bit about misinformation, um, which, you know, we've already seen the spread of it in this election. NBC News reported on a robocall of an AI-generated voice purporting to be Joe Biden telling voters in New Hampshire not to vote in the primary. What a bunch of malarkey. Voting this Tuesday only enables the Republicans in their quest to elect Donald Trump again. Your vote makes a difference in November, not this Tuesday. If you would like to be- I'm just wondering if you, there are any guardrails in place or in the works to prevent misinformation that's, you know, created and, sh- and spread by AI. Because we obviously had misinformation, you know, back in 2016 and 2020 mm-hmm. as well. But this feels like um, this feels like misinformation that people are even more likely to fall for. Totally. I think some of these sites are trying to flag AI-generated content for users. Um, and I think probably if you're, frankly, younger and more just this is this is the water that you swim through, the air you breathe, you're probably more able to discern things um, visually. AI uh, audio, I actually think, is, is much more dangerous because, you know, I remember when, when AI was first coming out last year, I can't remember what I was listening to, but it was this whole thing about how um, fans of musical artists were making these kind of like mixtapes using the AI voice of the artist, and frankly, a lot of them like really sound like the artist. So I love those. Yeah. So yeah. So I think that like an audio call from a fake AI Joe Biden or a fake Trump, it's actually really dangerous, particularly when it's targeting voters in that way, right? A suppressing turnout. You could you could see like a sort of nightmare scenario where. 
um, you know, there's a call that goes out to, like, black neighborhoods in Milwaukee the night before the election saying, like, Joe Biden is so far ahead in the state that you don't need to turn out. That could have massive consequences. And how do you litigate that in the fallout? It's really in the, in the aftermath. That's really that's really difficult. So I actually think AI audio is really quite scary. AI visual, like, I'm embarrassed to say, do you remember the Pope in the puffy coat? Yeah. I initially thought that was real because <laughs> it was one of the first, like, really good AI things I had seen. And I was like, wow, I mean, I guess he's like, you know, he's in Italy. Like, it's really, maybe he's just like going for like sort of a fashion thing. And I was so embarrassed afterwards. But it's, I thought it was like a really good um, lesson for me of like, yeah, you know, this is, this is sort of uh, better than you think. So I, I am, I am humbled my, by my own, um, you know, wide-eyed innocence in, in a certain way. It'll be something that I think we have to keep, keep an eye on as journalists to see are, are these platforms marking out AI-generated content? Are they marking out content that is spreading misinformation? I mean, particularly on platforms like X, which have had a, a, a sort of core change in identity, to put it lightly, since the last yeah. election. Um, you know, I think that's really, really something we're going to have to watch. You know, we've talked about the role of, like, mainstream tech platforms, you know, Twitter, or sorry, X, um, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. But what about, like, Truth Social and, you know, more conservative platforms? Like, what do those look like right now? And are they just, like, totally right-wing echo chambers, like, where you don't really have to worry about the stuff that comes out of those places because it's not like, you know, a swing voter is necessarily being exposed to the content? Or is it, um, you know, actually more concerning than that? I do think that conservative social media sites are, you know, they are used by the most hardcore right-wing people. So they're, in some ways, I think, you know, Trump obviously posts there. And so w- when you read stuff from, from t- Truth Social, it's it's a Trump post or, you know, a news site is aggregating Truth Social. I think a lot of right-wing um, personalities and people are frankly on on Twitter now, X. So they're on the, they're, they're playing in the sort of the bigger sandbox, right? It's, it's um, I think those, those really f- sort of niche right-wing sites are a factor only so much as Trump says something on them occasionally. But really, I think the the amplification in the field of play is on Twitter, it's on YouTube, it's through podcasts, right-wing radio, sort of like the new permutations of kind of the classic thing we've been talking about for half a century, which is the, the power of right-wing radio and just the new forms that it's taken. What do you think is like the sort of the impact of this reliance on social media instead of the news? How will that impact the election and politics more generally, just like the way that candidates go about campaigning? How people go about campaigning, I think it's really hard to change, you know, like modify a stump speech. But I think, you know, you see— You might be able—I was thinking about, like, you know, with, you know, when TikTok really started to take off, you noticed artists like Drake all mm -hmm. of a sudden kind of like— writing songs almost with TikTok in mind. It's like, what's the snippet of this song that's going to, you know, be good in the background? Yeah, the syncopation is different or whatever. Yeah, and I'm wondering if there's like a candidate, a political candidate version of that. Well, one thing that I, that the Biden campaign pointed out to me that they are doing is um, they're doing more of these mini events that they think will go viral on social media, i.e. the president comes to your middle class household and eats dinner with you, right? And like you... A 16-year-old boy films it for TikTok and posts it, and it, you know, and it goes maybe quasi-viral. So okay, I, think, I would love to see that. See, yeah. so, they, so they are, they're trying, I think they're trying to do stuff like that where it's not Joe Biden 
sitting in the Oval Office trying to do something funny to go viral. It's um, I think stuff that goes that also goes viral on social media are like heartstring stuff, cool stuff, things that are sort of is heartwarming. So Joe Biden going to like you know whatever a middle class house and having dinner, or whatever mac and cheese, is something that people will click on. And frankly, is something that Joe Biden is good at. Like he is actually quite that is where he shines. He's yeah, quite good at being an empathetic sort of glad handing. You know old Irish guy, right? So like, I think that that leans into his strength. So I think that's something that they're recognizing and frankly trying to promote. You write a lot about the, you know, shifting media landscape in this country. And I feel like one thing that hasn't shifted maybe at all is late night comedy. Basically for my entire life, it has been liberal. The left really has or has had like a monopoly on political humor. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting to me that we've changed, you know, mediums and now we're, we're looking at social media and you have the Republicans all of a sudden winning the meme war. I'm wondering if you think that that can be attributed to just the fact that like Trump himself is like a better muse. Totally. That's a great question. I mean, I think Trump is a better muse. A great that's a great way to put it. Having watched the guy in person at events, he's funny. You know what's what's the classic term everyone uses? Carnival barker humor. But it's it's he's got he's he's got some timing and humor. So yes, I think he's a muse. There's a conservative influencer, a guy named Benny Johnson, who actually used to be a journalist for BuzzFeed. He has this great phrase, which is the left can't meme, but we can. Right, which is basically him saying. The left is so self-serious and so sanctimonious. They're so concerned with hurting people's feelings that we're the ones who can say the things that you are thinking, and we can be funny about it. And frankly, I think there's something to that. And I think it's one of the reasons why right-wing memes do go viral, maybe on, you know, liberal internet too, right? Because there is a certain aspect of um, going there, right? I mean, it's why you see, I think, a lot of interesting conversations in – Stand-up comedy, like, okay, we're being too—why why aren't we making fun of Biden? Why can't we talk about this? Why can't I talk about pronouns, right? There's this yeah, kind of— because like the Dave Chappelle stuff. Exactly, yeah. right? Like the And the medium of comedy is always pushing boundaries to make you uncomfortable, to make you think, right? Like, that's, like, actually smart and good comedy. So is it like that the best humor is derived from having some kind of shock value, and right now conservatives are more interested in shock than— Liberals. I think there's something to that, the, yeah. of, of being subversive to the norms that are, frankly, set by um, mainstream media, which we all know leans left. It is like in all of those um, echelons and social groupings of society that is trying to, yeah, like change the way people think about gender and race. So people are understandably, um, yeah, seeking out the people who are talking subversively uh, or, or, you know, subversively to, like, mainstream thought about those things. And maybe those are tapping into people's real feelings of confusion or a desire to go back to the way things are. Like, that is obviously happening here. And I think it's one of the reasons why people can, you know, people in the right wing can make jokes that I think are offensive to some people, if not many people, but also strike a chord with a lot of people and say, like, yeah, there's some truth in that. It makes sense. I mean, saving democracy is not funny. <laughs> Democracy dies in darkness. Yeah. (laughs) This is not a banger. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Claire. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Claire Malone is a staff writer at The New Yorker. You can read her piece on newyorker.com. This has been The Political Scene. I'm Tyler Foggett. 
The show is produced by Julia Nutter and edited by Stephanie Karayuki. Our executive producer is Stephen Valentino. Our theme music is by Allison Layton-Brown. Enjoy your week, and we'll see you next Wednesday.